Welcome to the Basu and Ganei Notebook on this Friday, January 26, 2024. I am Marc-Antoine Ganei with uh, Arpen Basu as usual. Uh, Arpen, did you did you feel the emotion with Patrick uh, Roy last night? Yeah, of course. How could you not? It was a, a really nice touch from the Canadians, I thought, uh, doing it during the anthem. And actually, there was a comment on my story on The Athletic that I thought was really good, how the... The commenter took uh, the lyrics of the anthem and he liked how the photos of Patrick Roy were lined up with Ton front et saint, de fleuron glorieux, and all these things. It was like it was, it was the imagery and the, and the lyrics lining up was, uh, was another, another touch that I actually hadn't noticed. So, um, but yeah, I thought it was really great. Um, I'm glad you read the comments. Good I do. I do read the comments. Yeah, I don't always respond, but I do read them. And so, uh, but yeah, I thought a uh, really nice touch in the way it was done. And they, it, it was done in a way that didn't, that didn't make it a thing. Like it didn't, it wasn't an added layer to the game. And I think that was, um, you know, kind of respecting Patrick Waugh, the way he was viewing it, that he didn't really want it to be about him, but it was impossible to not make it about him. And so the Canadians, they had to do something. And I yeah. thought the way they did it, incorporating it into the normal routine of the game uh, was really nice. And obviously the crowd being the Montreal crowd, um, you know, stepped up again and made it for a nice moment. And I think made Patrick Watt feel very uncomfortable. And uh, so mission accomplished if that was the goal, you know, because I think uh, you would have much rather just started the game, but a very nice moment. Yeah, for sure. And you cannot, it, it's a bit weird, you know, when it comes to a legend of this magnitude to celebrate, where celebrating him as a chance to to create really a potentially a moment, a momentum shift. Mm-hmm. So doing it at any other point in the game, once the game has started, starting celebrating the the other team's head coach is 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 risky for your own team. So doing it during the anthem was safe territory it was nicely it was a good move well also, it's also that it's not it's not Patrick West's first game back you know I mean he's no, no. coached in the building before and so it's normal you know when a player comes back yes it's first TV timeout they do that and it's it's always a nice moment and everything but this was different this was just this was just Patrick West got a job and he's coaching a team against the Canadians which he's done yeah. three times three times before not that many but you know it's three times before um, but hadn't happened in seven years. So they had to do something and I think they did it well. Um, and also, uh, maybe got in Patrick's kitchen a little bit by doing it. I don't know, but, uh, you know, it's also, you can't, you know, it's one thing, you know, when PK, when they did it for PK Subban, he has like tears streaming down his face right before the game. You can imagine that it probably affected how he played right off the bat. I don't think it really affected how Patrick coached right off the bat. No, I think it was, no. yeah. No. <laughs> so, yeah. all right. So, We'll, uh, let's say enough with Patrick Roy, but we'll keep one aspect of last night's game to start our discussion because obviously, uh, the hit, uh, that, uh, uh, Brendan Gallagher inflicted on <clears throat> Adam Pellick, uh, was a turning point in the game. Blindside hit to the head, elbow in the face. Uh, Gallagher's skates lifted off the ice. Uh, Pellick didn't have the puck. It was really, the whole shebang. Yeah. Uh, so earlier today we learned that the uh, that he would get an earring a hearing with the NHL, which is no surprise. Uh, it, it's a telephone call. It's not an in person hearing, which means that he's going to be given a uh, a suspension of five games or less. Maybe that at the time that you listen to this podcast, the suspension uh, has already dropped, but. And we're recording at 3.45 p.m. on Friday. So just see, just to give you a timeline, but yeah, we don't know what it'll be. But yeah, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Just wanted to give that a yeah. that little bit of information. So the, uh, but I, I think that it doesn't change anything to the fact that if you objectively look at the hit, whether it gets three or five or even five, uh, three, four or five games, doesn't change anything to the fact that in my opinion it was it was worthy of more and mm-hmm. the fact that uh guys are given sort of a, a, a pass because they don't have pre- previous history with the department of player security uh 
it's 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 something it's an argument that seems to to really have a, to go a long way with with in terms of deciding the sanction and last i check it's it's an exaggerated i'll admit it's an exaggerated example but if you kill someone uh the fact that you have not killed someone before yeah. it doesn't factor in into the fact that, of what you did so i'm going to the extreme here but ultimately I find that oh no, he's not. He hasn't done anything bad before, so hence the the, the you know the sanction this time will be will be easier. Yeah, I find that been, it 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 weighs it weighs a lot sometimes. You're you're assuming that the NHL runs. You know, our legal system is you know people might argue differently, but our legal system is based on common sense and uh, logic. Um, in much the same way, our legal system: if you assault someone but they're not injured, doesn't mean you get away with it. <laughs> No, I mean it's yeah. like it's the same. It's the same thing. You're still going to get charged with assault. Um, here, if you hit a guy and he escapes injury, more often than not, you're not getting a hearing and you're not getting suspended. So, um, in this case, yeah, I agree. That, and we have we have precedent for it this season. I think I believe Charlie McAvoy got four games for his hit on Oliver Ekman Larson earlier this season. Um, was a bad hit, a really bad hit. Probably deserved more. Uh, but McAvoy had no history, so um, hence uh, got no, to the games. Yeah, ha- or he did. did he? Yeah, sorry. No, I, I don't. I don't think, I, I don't think I, he did. I thought I he did. He had already. Okay. And, 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 but anyhow, yeah. in this case, you know, I wouldn't. I'd be disappointed, but I, you know, actually, I'm not even going to speculate because uh, probably a lot of you listeners probably already know the length of the suspension. But the fact it's not more than five, I agree, is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. You just, you can't, everything in the checklist of a legal check to the head is, is, is checked off here. Elevating into the hit, leaving his feet, picking the head, elbow chicken wing coming out, blind side, puck was gone. Like just go down the list of things that you can't do when you hit a guy and he did it all. And so, um, and you know, and a greater issue, listen, this is not, you know, Brendan Gallagher doesn't have a history of doing this either, like this kind of thing. He's he's generally an honest player. He takes penalties, but dirty plays are not common with him. And even though he gets involved in rough stuff in front of the net or whatever, uh, this is out of character for him. What is it? it? What is not, unfortunately, out of character for him, and with the Canes, I feel a need to address, is this tendency to take penalties late in games, when the Canes are either trying to tie the game or the game is tied or they're coming from behind and he effectively puts an end to that. And so in this case, obviously they're trying to protect the lead, gets a five minute major, the Islanders scored twice, they tie it, almost cost them the game. If were it not for Cole Caulfield, Josh Anderson and Sean Monahan combining on the winning goal, would have gone, might have gone overtime, the Canes might have lost. So, um, and I remember before the season, the day after Tanner Pearson was acquired from the Vancouver Canucks, I asked Martin St. Louis a question, basically stating, when you have to decide between a veteran player like Tanner Pearson or a younger player on who's going to get a specific role, who's going to get in the lineup, how do you, how do you come down on that? How do you, how do you, how do you differentiate between the two aside from, their performance on the ice. If it's, if it's relatively even, what's the tie break and tie break for Martin. He said at that time is, well, generally a veteran player has a track record and that track record gives that veteran because, because a veteran player is a veteran because he's done certain things for a long enough time that he's managed to stay in the league. And that track record gets him the benefit of the doubt. Um, Brennan Gallagher has a long track record in the NHL, a long track record of being a, a team guy, a guy yeah. that a heart and soul guy, the, the, the heart and soul of the Canadians for a long time. Um, but this season, these are starting to pile up and that hit, like forget the hit itself, which we've already <laughs> discussed was bad. Um, no one disagrees with that, but the time of the game, the necessity of it, all of it just speaks to some of Brendan's questionable decision-making late in games when he is the guy who's supposed to be showing the way in that department. He's the one who's supposed to be setting the example for how you behave 
situationally late in a hockey game, especially that game. Like, forget Patrick Waugh, but the Canadians coming off three really bad losses, um, identifying that game as a need to bounce back and, and put an end to this, for him to jeopardize that the way he did as a veteran with a track record is unacceptable. And, unacceptable, no. And, and yes, he's going to get consequences from the NHL, but, you know, we got to see – there's got to be some more. There's got to be some internal accountability, and I, I think Marty is not willing to share that publicly. I think that's something he's going to deal with with Brendan himself. But the difference, the, the the verbal gymnastics he went through after the game to avoid calling Brendan out for that penalty, and the ease with which he called out Arbor Jacki for his penalties, it was night and day. It was like completely, yeah. and it just goes back to that answer after the Tanner Pearson trade. A veteran gets the benefit of the doubt. Well, when a veteran keeps making the same mistake over and over again, Marty says this all the time, if that's when you got to step in, that's a trend, not a one-off. This is a trend, unfortunately. It's certainly a trend. Uh, I didn't go into the uh, the penalties that he took while the Canadians were on the power play. I don't know if he canceled the team's power play this year with a penalty. I believe he did once or twice. But in terms of the situation you described, here's his history for this season. So on November 14th, he had a tripping against uh, Calgary with three minutes 12 left. Calgary was leading by one. So he, the Canadians could not come back from a two-to-one deficit because of that penalty. You remember he, he argued, he complained about the referee after the game. It was in Montreal, and he said yeah. it's a terrible call. He cannot yeah. make that mistake because the ref, Pierre Lambert, was too far away from the plate. Yeah, anyway, absolutely. Yeah, and he was right. Two nights after against he went Vegas. On, he went on and on about it. Like He really laid it on. Publicly, heavily thick that night. Like for really, sure. he was yeah. he was ready to take a, a, no, he was a, a fine for that. Yeah, for sure. But two nights after, against Vegas, he takes a double minor high sticking with two fifty one left. The Canadians uh -huh. were leading five to four. Vegas scored two goals, and ended up winning. Yeah, that was so. That's two nights after. Then on uh, January uh, December was quiet, but on January thirteenth, he got, he took a hooking with one forty nine left against Edmonton uh, in a tie game. The Oilers did not mm -hmm. score on that, but obviously it put the Canadians in a tough spot. One, and, that, and that power play went into, went into overtime, right? Exactly. It, it that's where, that's where the, No, actually, uh, I think Matheson got a penalty in overtime, and that's how the Oilers scored. Uh, no, I know that, but, that, but that power play, did, didn't they start overtime? Yeah, yeah. On yeah, yeah they did. Yeah. They did, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so ultimately it was, yes, obviously, well, there was – There was 11, uh, 11, 11 seconds, seconds left. Yeah. But those are all instant. And that, and then yesterday. So you see, that's, uh, that's four instances in a single season where in the last four minutes, well, yesterday mm -hmm. was not in the last four minutes, but it ended up, it, it, <laughs> it was five it minute major. Yeah. It's a five minute major with eight minutes left. Uh, mm -hmm. so it, it amounts to the same thing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it, it, it's puzzling and the, The intention behind it, I don't know if they have a prior history, the two of them, or something happened during the game, but it was so deliberate. Uh, I have a hard time explaining that to myself. It was deliberate and, and unnecessary. Like, yeah. just not, it was not in the flow of the game. Like, it's not, it's not, a, that's not a hit you normally make. You know, like, there's, there's cases where you finish a check, where you will hit a guy shortly after he passed the puck. Um, in open ice like that, coming from the blind, like, that's not, That's not that. That's not a case of that. No. That's just bad, bad, bad judgment and and a bad hit. Like it's a technically bad hit. Like there's every ask like everything about that hit was bad and wrong. And like really this the synapses in his brain, like one of the checklists should have been like, okay, Brendan, no, we're not doing this. We're not oh no, oh, you're bringing your elbow up. No, we're not doing this. <laughs> Like there had to be some sort of firewall in his brain that said, "Like, no, this is not the time for this, buddy." And yeah. that track record, that veteran track record, is what should have made that firewall much stronger, and it didn't. And it, you know, and this goes back, like, and you know, I, I believe when was that game? I wrote about it. I think you wrote about it too. But the game where Yol Armia took for second game in a row took a bad penalty that cost the team, yeah, and didn't even miss a shift. 
was right back out there as soon as as soon as he could. That game was in Florida, I believe, during the holidays. Um, same thing. And to Marty's credit, so there were no consequences for Yol Armia. And right now, Yol Armia is playing the best hockey I've seen him play in a really long time, probably since the this 2021 playoffs. Like honestly, like this is. This is the best version, the the best stretch of the old Armia games we've seen. And so maybe whatever discussions Marty had with him coming out of that situation, mm-hmm. maybe that had a positive effect on him. Maybe that something sparked in him that 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 triggered this kind of play to him. But man, it's it's there was another case of a veteran getting the benefit of the doubt and. That's a case but, that turned out okay, but there's like a certain culture of accountability that you want to create. And and I don't know what's going to happen with Brendan Gallagher, but it's after the game and even today, I think Marty was very hesitant to 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 call him out on it. Yeah. I, there, there's that point that I've been harping on since the beginning of the season that Martin Saint-Louis has the limited options when it comes to accountability because he just doesn't have the bodies to switch guys around the way they probably should and mm-hmm. that he most certainly would. Uh, but it's just he's got, like he's, he's got, you know, right now he's got, uh, he saw Lucas Condota, uh, who was called up. He benched, uh, well, he scratched, uh, Yesu alone in a few games, but he doesn't necessarily have the ammo to say, I'm going to promote some guys, give them larger responsibilities and, and punish the guys that I'm unhappy with. He can do that on defense to a certain extent. Uh, but all year round, it's been difficult. I disagree. And I think I, I, I'll tell you why, because obviously this doesn't apply to the game last night against the Islanders mm-hmm. because Brendan Gallagher was kicked out of the game in a match penalty. So there's, you can't bet you guys it's not in the game, but it's not as if Marty doesn't have a history of benching guys. They're just lower in the line. Like Michael Pizzetta gets benched every game almost. Yeah. And Christ gets Ottawa. He didn't play after the first period, you know? So mm-hmm. Um, yes, Yolonen, when he was in the lineup, regularly got benched in the third period. Um, it's not like he has no options. Are they good options? No, but but that's what I'm saying. If but, he ben- yeah, but benching, certain- benching is worse. Benching is worse. Players is a vote of non no confidence for them. So after that, to give them not only a regular shift but additional shift in order to only proves to- his point further. It only proves the point further. If you're willing to give Michael Pizzetta. Yol Armia's ice time or Brendan Gallagher's ice time, it proves your point further that well, I have a line that you cannot cross. You have crossed it, so yeah. I'm going to put this guy in your spot. And I don't care if he's not as good as you. I don't care if he won't do the job as well as you will. What you're doing is unacceptable. I have to, I have to, I have to draw a line in the sand. And so I think it just makes that point more impactful mm-hmm. when you take a lesser player who you don't necessarily trust all that much and say, look what I'm willing to do. You have crossed a line so egregiously, I'm willing to do this. And when you're in a position where the, like the Canadians are, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're, 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 they're trying to be competitive, and they are. Listen, they're, they're a 500 team. They've stayed yeah. in and around 500 all season. They deserve some credit for that. I think that – But what <laughs> For a is, team that's looking for consistency, they yeah, sure are consistent at the 500 mark. They're consistently mediocre, you know? And so it's like – it's so. Um, you know, like what's what do you have to lose doing that? Yeah, but what you have to gain is this this idea of accountability and and telling your younger players, listen, I'm not only hard on you, my rules don't only apply to you; they apply to everyone. Yeah, and so this is a different situation because obviously Brendan Gallagher is going to miss some time. Then the Canadians are the Canadians are on a bye week. Like Brendan Gallagher might not play a game for like two weeks more, perhaps more. depending on what happens. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, like when their next game is scheduled for after Saturday's game, I believe they're playing on February 4th. They're playing wrong? Washington. Uh, I think it's February 5th. Uh, yeah. I have it so six, February 6th against Washington so and then I think we the can safely assume Dallas. so I think we can safely assume Gallagher's at least going to miss the game against Washington and if it's only that then shame on you NHL like honestly if I'm he should get five mm-hmm. he should get five but 
he could not be play- he could be not playing until the week of February twelfth. I agree. And so that's already a three week break in the middle of the season. I don't know what more Marty could do with him. Like I don't oh. know if when he comes back, he can't really say, "Oh, well, remember what you did three weeks ago? Well, now you're getting punished for it." Of course but, not. But it's you know, it's an example needs to be made out of this so in some way. I don't know how he does it, but it has to be because you can't, you can't, and you can't just. I mean, how many questions was he asked about Gallagher after that game? He was asked four, five. Oh, at but, least, yeah, and. As soon as he's asked one question about Arbor Jack guy taking two penalties a game after he took one, j'adore pas ça. You know, like it was just like came out of him. It's like, you know, but that's all you have to say about Brendan too. J'adore pas ça. You know, it would have been, it would have been something instead of I have to see the video. Like, come on. Yeah. 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 Really? It's you a, really have to see the video. Or it's a fine line. Yeah. Or it's a fine line. That's not that yeah. fine. It's right. not that In that fun. case, it was not fine. It was not a line. It was a uh, my god. It was no. Uh, no it was yeah. a big, fat, broad line, <laughs> yes. and Brendan jumped clear over it, like way past it. So it was a border. Yes, it was a huge, thick line. Yeah, that he so, crossed. So for a lot of fans, that the reaction clearly it, it, it looked as though it was the final straw for a lot of fans regarding Brendan Gallagher. Because let's face it, it was a. It, it's been a key. potentially a pivotal season in his career, trying to rebound from, you know, a couple of years where he was, uh, you know, bothered with injuries and and low performances. Mm -hmm. At times it looked as though he was sort of back on track, even though I think everybody understands that he'll never be a 30-goal scorer, you know, again. But there were were spurts of, of very interesting effectiveness, I think that there are parts of his games that are still encouraging in the fact that, yes, he'll empty the tank and on every shift and you'll feel as though, you know, he's exhausted when he goes back to the bench. But the first 30 seconds of his shift, I find that he's gotten more jump than he did last year. Um, mm-hmm. And there's he's involved and whatnot. But there are three things to me that are really uh, a deterrent to his overall performances. The first one is the indiscipline. We already touched on that. Um, there's also the fact that if you look at the statistics at, at, at the, uh, at the, the analytics between uh-huh. the goal four and the expected goal four, there's always a difference, obviously, between the two. Some players yeah. tend to have more goals for than expected, but the majority of them will have a tiny bit less goal, real goal for than expected because, you know, you, you score less than the, than the, the opportunities you get, that's okay. But among the Canadians, uh, he's Brendan Gallagher is is really in a league of its own in the disparity between uh, the goal four and the expected goal four. So for the total of the season, uh, he's minus 14. So he's got 16 on the ice at five on, five on five. He's got uh, the Canadians scored 16 goals when he's on the ice. The expected goals is at 30.39. So he's, it's a bit more than 14. The next guy up on the team is Matheson at minus eight, then Slaff minus six, Suzuki minus five. So Gallagher at minus 14. It means that even though he continues to generate or help generating a lot of chances, they're being converted a lot less. And as an impact to that, also, the, the other stat is that his good old plus minus is a team worst minus 21, uh, which is yeah. uh, along with a tally of Chicago players, San Jose players, and Anaheim players. Uh, he's, he's 13, tied for 13 in the league uh, in that department. So that doesn't, that doesn't look good at all. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I would say about the expected goals thing is that when you look at the individual expected goals, not the on ice. He's yeah. still right up there. I mean, his individual expected goals per 60 is 1.18. Um, Austin Matthews is 1.2. Yeah. But Austin Matthews' actual goals are 1.81 per 60. These are all five on five. And Gallagher's 0.73. But the zero point, when you look at it individually on a per 60 basis, like 0.73 goals per 60 and 1.18 expected goals – the disparity is not as great as what you just described. It's just that he still generates chances. 
No, he still, uh, he still generates that. chances for himself. Yeah. He generates chances for his teammates. He is doing that, but he can't, he doesn't do it. Uh, they don't result in goals often enough where that, um, that, sh- that chance generation, he needs other elements of his game and, and the lack of discipline that you mentioned, um, can't be an element of his game <laughs> at this stage of his career. It just no. can't be. Like no. it just cannot be. I get that he he does play on the edge, but he's he doesn't he's he's not had this part of his game. Like this hasn't been a part of his game previously. Like usually as a younger player, you would take bad pill. Like Brendan Gallagher always got called for penalties, for sure. Mm-hmm. But generally didn't take bad penalties. Like didn't take like unnecessary like he took penalties that you kind of like to kill like he took a penalty he would take a penalty like battling for a puck or you know hustling back or like doing things that are that are just kind of you know when 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 the penalty killers go out there they're like all right let's get this one for brendan because he was he was working his bag off and we're gonna we're gonna kill this one for him yeah the penalties he's taking now are just are just dumb (laughs) I mean, no one, no penalty killer is motivated to kill the penalty when the penalty took place 200 feet from their net. It's some stick foul in the corner, some unnecessary hook that, you know, that you just didn't want to move your feet on or a blindside hit to the head in neutral zone when you're up two goals um, with less than 10 minutes left in the game. You know, I mean, it's just like it's so no one's expecting Brendan Gallagher to not take penalties. It's just he can't take dumb penalties and he's taking them with, with relative frequency and it just yeah. can't be an element of his game. It just can't. It's it's for him to like even come close to justifying the amount of salary cap space he takes up. He needs to be a positive influence on this room. He needs to be someone that, that can, that can show the young players the way that positive presence and this is literally the opposite of what a positive veteran presence does is take penalties like this. So, yeah. So, okay. Well, we won't get into the contract and et cetera and the value and, and what it could yet. Yeah, we'll have ample opportunities in the next few months and, and years, and there's, years, three years yeah. there's three years left in the deal to revisit that topic. But uh, I mean, after 25 minutes of, of uh, Brendan Gallagher, I think we can move on. And uh, we'll wait for the decision and react on it in the, or not in our net, oh, yeah. next podcast. But for now, I mean, uh, we both agree also regarding Martin Saint Louis' stubbornness about man crush. one man crush, <laughs> yeah. about one specific combination, and it's it's always resorting back to putting Josh Anderson with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. Uh, Suzuki and Caulfield, their line had ups and downs. They have good nights, bad nights. Uh, with Stavkovsky, for the most part, I was thinking, I thought that they did a decent job. Uh, that Stavkovsky they did a great job. Not... Well, they sp- generally they... speaking, they did a great job. Like it's it's yes, they've had they had some lulls while the Canadians had some lulls, but I mean honestly, that pl- that line for the better part of a month has been. Yeah, yeah. Been just, running just, the, has been running the show, you know? Yeah, I'm just thinking of those two bad losses against Ottawa and Boston where they it was not... Anyway. Uh, but, yeah, for, for the most part, I mean, the, the, this is a team that's such lacking depth at this point. They resorted to... The, they turned to that line to carry them more often than not. And, and Slavkovsky is certainly not the, the scapegoat and all that. And yet, Martin Saint-Louis thought that in the third period... Uh, of the game in uh, against Ottawa, the the second one, he he mixed things up and brought back Anderson with Suzuki and Caulfield, like in the good old days, mm-hmm. uh, and decided to keep that against the Islanders. And the Canadians overall seemed to crater offensively in terms of puck possession, and that's mainly in part because of that line, uh, who was really buried in terms of puck possession uh, against Orvat, Lee, and Barzal. Uh, and, you know, it's easy to make the connection with what has not worked before, for some reason, did not work yet again. Yeah, it's... it's it. 
You know, Marty always, one of his favorite isms is uh, the game speaks to you. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, you're not listening. <laughs> yeah, you're not listening to the game, man. I mean, honestly, like you just have to watch. There were a few shifts in that game where Josh Anderson was just not on. He was not reading the same book, let alone be on the same page. Like he was not. He was, he was in no way, shape or form helping the line offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, just seemed to be in the wrong place at the wrong time was just a second behind or a second ahead. Like it was just off. And I don't know how much more evidence you need that this combination does not work. It's been back to back seasons. Josh Anderson began the season on Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki's way. Um, last season, it lasted a handful of games this season. It lasted a bit longer, but still not very long before it became very obvious. It goes game. back to when Tyler Toffoli was here because yeah. he would go from Toffoli to Anderson and to Anderson to Toffoli. So it's just, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And look, I mean, let's say, and, but honestly on this, I wanted to give Marty some benefit of the doubt because I was baffled when I saw that it was Anderson, you know, he played the third period in the last game. He practiced with them. Uh, on Wednesday. Um, and then lo and behold, in warm up, he was there. And so that line, you were mentioning being buried, that, fi- that line finished with a 2.57 expected goal rate. 2.57. You heard that right. 2.57% of the expected goals when they were on the ice were credited to the Canadians, which for those that are not math inclined means 97.43% of them were credited to the Islanders. I'm not math inclined for those who listened <laughs> yeah. to the previous podcast. I am not math inclined. Thank you very yes, much. Exactly. So that was, that was, what, that was mainly for your benefit that I did that. Um, Thank you. <laughs> and Leroy Slavkovsky gets put on a line with Sean Monaghan and Yul Armia. You know what their expected goal percentage was? Oh, 91, 91.33. That, and that, that was the final line? Because uh, so, that was in that neighborhood after two periods. 91.33. Like 91.33% okay. of the expected goals when that line was on the ice were credited to the Canadians. So between yeah. the two lines, Canadians were roughly 50%. <laughs> Basically, like, they, it, it evened out. So, and I remember at one point I said to you in the game where I was watching Monaghan play, and I was like, Sean Monaghan is going to have a career high in expected goals tonight. It's like, just yeah. already in the first period, you can tell. Um, so after, so yes, this, this thing with Anderson is a stubborn thing. And I, there's two things about this. So the first thing is, um, I tried to give Marty the benefit of the doubt on this in the sense that I thought maybe he's putting Uri Slavkovsky on the Monaghan line to improve that line more so than taking him away from Suzuki and Caulfield for something he might've done. Yeah. Maybe this is a way for him to balance out his lines. Like Uri Slavkovsky is playing so well. And I'm going to put him with someone else and maybe he'll get that line going. If that was the intention, bravo, it worked. It, it made that line much better. Um, so after his press conference, after the game, I asked him that. And he's, he, he kind of said, um, you know, it was a, it just, just think of it as a rearrangement, basically. It's like it's not a demotion. It's not a promotion. It's not. I just needed to change something. I liked how we looked in the third period of the game against Ottawa. So I decided to stick with what, what I did there. So, which brings me to my second point about this, which is the third period against Ottawa. And this, listen, it worked, okay? The, the Canadians had an excellent first period against the Islanders. Martin, for two days, talked about how he hoped the third period from Ottawa would carry over into the first period, and it did. So, mm-hmm. credit for that. But this has been numerous occasions this season where the Canadians go into the third period of a game that they're losing pretty badly, they have a bit of a bounce back. They have a bit of a push. The other team weathers it because they're hold. They're, they're protecting a lead. Um, like and, most teams do. Like they, most teams do. I mean, score effects. Sit back. Yeah. Score effects are a thing for a reason. Like especially teams coached by Jacques Martin, who uh, is trying to teach this team how to win. And yeah. in Jacques Martin's book, the way you win when you're up by three goals in the third period is you shut things down. 
basically you turn the game into a slog and you shut her down. Um, you know, the Canadians, and, and this is something Michelle Therrien used to do all the time. All the time. He would have a, a glimmer of positivity in the third period. Be like, oh, we played better with this combination. Let's go into the next game with that combination. And there's also something that Marty used to not do. Marty, for the longest time, would switch up his lines in the middle of a game, but by the next game, he would go right back to what they were, and there was a certain notion of continuity needed and what have you, and, and I think that was, you know, maybe he he liked continuity too much, but I, I, I think there was something good about that where he could recognize that, okay, I did what I had to do in this game. It doesn't mean I have to redraw the whole thing. I don't have to, I don't have to redo the whole thing. Um, I can go back to what was working before and, and just and, and have faith in that. So yeah, exactly. Those are the that, two shows, that, that shows belief. When you go back to what you had conceived, and yeah. even though you had you changed it along the way because on, on a certain night it didn't work, mm-hmm. it shows it shows belief in what you've you've built, you know, and say, okay, I trust that. I trust I trust my decision making and you know the, the reasons why I put these guys together in the first place. So at the first hiccup, uh, I should not necessarily be distracted from from those motivations and from score effects, especially score effects. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> But yeah, no, it, it's true. And I, clearly, I'm thinking of Mar- uh, Michel Tain, who used to do that too, also all the time. And uh, mm-hmm. after that, he would he would take the blender out, make all sorts of line combinations. And he would ask, well, what do you see in those three guys together? And he would come up with explanations. But he didn't come up with explanations for any potential line combination It's when it's time to justify it. But there are certain ones that work better than others. And the, my point is that when it comes to Anderson with Suzuki and Caulfield, the one thing we know is that it doesn't work. This season, and just in terms of, uh, you know, high danger chances. Mm-hmm. When the three of them are together, they got 21% of the high danger chances. That's a bad ratio. When when Anderson's not with them and Caulfield and Suzuki have another line with them, another uh, winger. Player, yeah. 50%. Yeah. So. And what is it with Slavkovsky? Uh, let me tell you, what is it with Slavkovsky? It's, it's, I guess it's certainly, it, mu- it must hover probably around the, the, the 52 to 50. I would guess it's closer to 60. Okay, okay. Uh, That would be my roll. guess. Drum roll. It is 49.5. Oh, really? That's surprising. That's surprising. That means it must have been pretty bad in the last few games, which would, yeah. would lead to a change like this. But this is something that, you know, like what are we looking for in this Canadian season? Uh, you're looking for glimmers of the future. You're looking for, like, I'm at least focusing on elements of this team that will be there through this whole process. So that's why I look closer at a Caden Gooley, or I look closer at even an Arbor Jack guy or like Justin Barron when he was here. But when those three guys got put together, the line that the Canadians envisioned them being from the moment Slavkovsky was drafted, you know, this is what they thought. Yeah, They put Suzuki and Caulfield's jersey in the dressing room and had Slavkovsky sit between them for crying out loud. Like, I mean, it's, it was on draft night. And so, um, and even Suzuki said that when they drafted him, that's what he envisioned. So it was cool to see it come together and it would have, would have been cool to let it play out, to let them play themselves out of a slump, you know, and, and, and kind of lead the team out of a slump. And so, It's not the end of the world they changed the line, but it's – it's and, and Marty made a point of mentioning this. He's like, when I played, I would go from Vinny to Richie to Vinny to Richie and, and just based on how things were going and over the course of the season, it'll happen. And he's going to put Slavkovsky back on that line. At some point, he might even do it on Saturday. I don't know. But Yeah, but – Yeah, but but that's fine. That's fine. It's not the fact that he took Slavkovsky away from them that's a problem. No, no, it's, it's the Anderson. Back, the Anderson part. <laughs> it's the Anderson part, yes. And that's what I was getting at. And it's like it's, you know, I don't know how many alternatives he had, but any any other player, I would have seen, I would have rather seen Harvey Pinard play with them than yes. Josh Anderson. 
You know, like, I mean, it's, it, you could put Gallagher with them. You could have put anyone, literally any other week. Tanner Pearson, I would rather see than Josh Anderson. Like, it's honestly <laughs> like any other option would have been better because it's just there's no, you know, you always talk about a sample size. Well, geez, the sample size is massive suggesting that this line does not work, will not work. There are no circumstances under which Josh Anderson will work with these two players. He's been given enough opportunities, just accept it and move on. And he's had very good games, Anderson, with other line mates. On other lines, he's he's had good games. So, yeah. you know, stick it to uh, – keep it to where it works. And, yeah, Rafael Arvipinard will, will come useful. But I think that right now – They can, with, especially with Gallagher being uh, being suspended now, because he formed a duo with Evans for uh, quite a while now. But you yeah. can tell that you have Caulfield and Suzuki as a duo. Now Monaghan and Armia have become a duo, and that's what that's those two duos are are what the, are are what Martin Saint Louis will work around I, just to I, fill the rest of his lineup. Yeah, and just as an aside, I think it's worth pointing out. Um, When Marty was asked about Sean Monaghan and how his play has improved, he went on and on about Yol Armia. Yeah. And Yol Armia's impact on that. So um, kudos to Yol Armia. Honestly, like it's been a tough season for him. A lot of people just sort of wrote him off. He looked like a guy that was worth writing off for a, for a good chunk of the season. Um, definitely in training camp. Uh, went to Laval. Didn't complain. Played well there, yeah. was 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 described as a leader in that room. Uh, gets called back, had that that lull. He wasn't playing great. Took those penalties, Carolina and Florida, and now he's playing tremendous. And yeah. he's a really yeah. really effective player and pain in the ass to play against player when he's playing like this. Like he's a really useful player. He's still overpaid. He's still a, he's always, he will be overpaid until the end of the contract, but he is a useful player that is difficult to play against. He's a difficult yeah. opponent because he's just does so many things that are out of the ordinary board battles, having a very good stick, neutral zone, you know, causing turnovers in the neutral zone, killing penalties, just getting in passing lanes, just doing all sorts of really annoying things that disrupt disruptive things to the opponent, to the opposing play. And so good for you, y'all. I think I'm going to have to talk to him about this soon. I don't think anyone has talked. I don't, I don't think, I think you'll army has done like two interviews all season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The entire it's, media it's, core is afraid of talking to him because he doesn't talk. They're giving up. They're giving up <laughs> they're because giving they don't up. get anything. I'm not giving yeah. up. I'm going to ask to talk to him the next time I can. That's good. When they He's come your... back from the all-star break, I will ask to talk yeah. to you'll army. Yeah. That's good. He's your, uh, Unsung hero of January's of January. Wilson Cup. <laughs> yeah. If there was a if there was a Jacques Beauchamp trophy for January, it'd be your Armia. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh yeah, Armia's been useful with uh with Monahan. Monahan has seen plenty of ice lately. Uh, has been very good too. Jake Evans been useful too, but th there was an instance earlier this week where the Canadians played with three centermen. Um after they the rather puzzling The motion of Mitchell Stevens to the um, to the American League, puzzling. Mm -hmm. Well, the the easy explanation is that Tanner Pearson was coming back. They had to send somebody down, and Stevens was the one that they had the 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 biggest certainty that he wouldn't be claimed on waivers. So it, it was it was an easy an easy fix. But in the meantime, that's the Canadians not a, didn't that's have not a good explanation. I know, but it's it's a reason. <laughs> Listen, I know it's. <laughs> I'm just saying, it is know, the well, easiest they, explanation, but it's just not, it's still not a good one. But anyway. That's, I know, that's why I'm bringing it up to you now. <laughs> because <laughs> because they played with three sentiment. Honestly, it looked, you know, all those times where we see like 11-7 setups and the defensemen hate playing at 7-D because it messes up the pairings and all that. And they shift from one to the other and, uh -huh. and, So they don't like it. And it's a well-documented fact in hockey that defensemen don't like playing 7D. But playing three centermen, I feel like for the, the wingers, they got a taste of the equivalent of the frustration that the defensemen get when they play 7D because they got rotated 
and changed line constantly. Monaghan and Evans had easily four wingers each that they played pretty much on par in that in that mm-hmm. one game against Ottawa. Uh, and finally, it was fixed, and Lucas Condota was uh, was called uh, up. Was called up, and so it's going to be most obviously a situation where. They're going to use that spot to try guys and see where they're at in their development and and use it, you know, as a bit of revolving doors. I don't know if it's only maybe that Condotta will be here until just Alex Newhook comes back. I mean, he skated in his full gear today uh, in Brassard. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the Canadians had the the opportunity to pick up a guy on on the waiver wire, Adam Ruzicka from 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 Calgary. They chose to pass. Nick Bonino was put on waivers. The whole league passed because, let's face it, Bonino was at the end of the road and his legs are shot. Yeah. Um, so that that's where they're at. Uh, and also, they they chose to keep maybe, I don't know how big in the picture that is, but they're trying to keep their number of contracts as low as possible approaching trade deadlines. So, Yeah, I mean, that's, there's that. And I just do think that they like... Like they like the idea that Lucas Condota's up, you know. Um, I don't know. Maybe Yan Mishak will get a shot at some point. Maybe they can yeah. give him a look for a few games. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that that they could. But I th- I feel like it's just worth going over just how ludicrous that situation was. And it's just it's just one game. It's not the end of the world, but it's a very odd way for an NHL team to manage their roster when there's a game to be played, not just any game, a game against a team that spanked you 6-2 in Ottawa. You're coming off two games where you just gave up 15 goals in two games. You gave up nine, nine in Boston. You have this game and you decide to purposely go with three centers. Mm -hmm. Like I asked Suzuki about it after the game. I was like, when you saw that you were dressing three centers, like what was your reaction? And he's like, well, to be honest with you, when I saw that they put Stevie, who was Mitchell Stevens, when I saw that they put Stevie on waivers, I was a little shocked because I was like, well, now we have three yeah. centers. Like, what's like, what? How are we gonna? How are we gonna do that? You know, like yeah. he didn't say it, but it kind of the vibe was like, what? What are we even doing here? Like, what's going yeah. on? You know, kind of thing. Like, like you want me to go out and like try my best to win a game when you're not trying your best to win a game? Like, as far as management's concerned, like you, you're not. You're sending. That's the message you're kind of sending to your players. You know, like you, yeah. you. They're sitting there wondering, like, what? Why are we doing this? Because you mentioned Tanner Pearson's coming back. Yes, he's a winger. Uh, and you mentioned Mitchell Stevens was likeliest to get through waivers. Yes, 100. percent And he did get through waivers. But you had a waiver exempt player on your team, Joshua Roy, a winger, that you could have sent down easily. Now, if the argument was, well, we wanted to keep Joshua Roy, he had earned a game, he had earned, a, he had earned his way, uh, Jesus, he had earned staying, <laughs> he had earned staying, like he, he'd met, he played well enough to deserve to stay. And so we want to send him a message that you're playing well, it's a meritocracy, so we kept you and we did all these gymnastics, we put a guy on waivers, risked losing him, sent him down, played a game with three centers, Also, we can keep you in the lineup. And then what happens the day after the game? They send them down. Send them down. <laughs> so it's like, what are they doing? Like, what was that whole series of things? And, and the, the other thing, you mentioned all the wingers being rotated. Why were they being rotated? Because Michael Pizzetta was in the lineup and didn't play after the first period. That's why. Because otherwise, if you have four sets of wingers, you have eight wingers and three centermen, it's actually not that disruptive. It's the three centermen just get to play more. You keep your wingers together, and the three centers rotate through them. Or the three centers take turns playing with the fourth line, basically. It's not that hard to manage. Yeah, but still, would, you still but, amputate your bench after the first period in order to the, for that to, that's, to run more smoothly. But no, but you don't, if you didn't amputate your bench, if you didn't sit Pizzetta from the first period, from first intermission on, yeah. you could run that smoothly. It's, it's not that, it's, it's, we see it all the time. It's, you just, One shift, Suzuki goes on the fourth line. Next shift, fourth line's next shift. Evans goes with the fourth line. The fourth line's next shift. Monahan goes with the fourth line. You continue like that. It wouldn't be that difficult. But they sat Pizzetta after the first. Pizzetta was in the lineup. Why? Because they were playing against Ottawa, and it might get rough. 
Marty said, I wanted to have Michael Pizzetta on my bench. But it was Arbor Jacki's first game back, which would have been a good reason to go 11-7 and seven because you don't know what you're going to get from him. He has, he's been in Laval for a while. If you want to give yourself insurance on D, go 11-7. And if you're worried about it getting rough, you got Jacki. And so that was another puzzling, puzzling thing about that game. And all of it just, if you look at it from the point of view of the players, like from the outside, none of this is all that consequential, right? It's really like, who cares? Like, does it really matter that much? But if you're a player on that team, having gone through the two games you just went through, looking at Ottawa as an opportunity to get back at them for the game that they just, the licking they gave you in Ottawa, 6-2, uh, get back to playing decent hockey after having a total collapse in Boston in the third period, a game that they were in for 40 minutes. Let's not forget. They played well for 40 minutes of that game. Well, well, they they were, they were in the game. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if they were playing all that well, but they were in the game um, and just kind of collapsed late. And so for that, you would think from a player's point of view, like, okay, my coaches and my management team are going to put us in the best position to succeed here because we need to win this game. And it was the opposite of that. Yeah. No, it Basically. was. And even after the game, Suzuki said he was said, Oh, it's it's tough for the wingers to to go through this, to, to go through all those chances. It changes. Me, uh-huh. I didn't rotate all that much. They double shifted HP and Monahan more, which is certainly weird and interesting. <laughs> so yeah. that's what he said. So he said, Oh, okay. <laughs> also it's He's not too pleased because he he must have thought it'd be the one that would be double, that, that would be double shifted. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. They're over because well, overall they're, that's, there's a bunch of t- a bunch of games this season, at least more than north of, of 20, where he yeah. played more than in that game where there were three centermen. Yeah, so, and that's because John Cooper likes going 11 and 7 especially in the playoffs because it gets it, it allows him to get Kucherov on the ice more allows yeah. him to get it allows him to get his best players on the ice more um and that's why that's why Suzuki said you know I don't mind going three centers I get on the ice more and but yeah but I didn't I wasn't there for him saying that which was certainly weird and interesting that's great yeah. but all that to say like it's it's not really all that consequential but it's just I think that there's There's going to be some, some, some roster tinkering that has to be done, especially after the trade deadline. There's like between now and the end of the season, there's going to be moves made. You know, if they're going to run a rotation at at fourth line center, then, you know, so be it. Like, why not take advantage of the situation? Um, But I think this team has to keep in mind what the players are thinking and how they digest the decisions that they make. That's the lesson here is that you might have your own reasons. And frankly, I still don't know what the reasoning, what possible logical reasoning there was for what happened on Tuesday against the senators. I I don't understand. Like there's nothing, there's no good explanation that you can really give me that would convince me that that was the the way to do it. Um, But whatever it is and whatever other things they do this season, I think in the back of their minds, they have to keep the notion that how are our players going to digest this information? What, how are they going to receive it? You don't want to do, you don't want to make every decision based on how your players receive it. But I think in circumstances like this, I think that was, uh, uh, that was overlooked. I don't think, I yeah. don't think the Canadians took that into consideration. Well, especially since there was an impression last season that there was a bit of a disconnect between the, the ultimate interest or or preference of management versus what was going on at ice level when it came to competitiveness. Uh-huh. And there was some sort of a, a, a refreshed understanding and agreement that everybody would be on the same page because everybody at every level of the Bell Center this year, everybody wanted to win. But when you make decisions like these, you don't send a message to your players that you're you're building the most optimal lineup to help you win on that day. And it's not, it's not the first it look the w- w- carrying three goalies that takes you one skater less to give yeah. you options. Uh, keeping Gustav Lindstrom and having him sit for a month 
just because you don't want to lose a right-handed shot and ultimately you lose them on waivers on the day that one one team in particular could have that need. Uh, and when you keep eight defensemen and you don't play that defenseman, well, because of the three goalies, you're down to 12 forwards. Again, it's not optimal, less flexibility mm-hmm. for Martin Saint-Louis. So those are decisions that were all originating from the fact that we don't want to lose players on waivers because it'll hurt our depth. And yeah. I can't help but look at this current situation and say, isn't it more of the same where instead they, they, they sent Stephens down because they're concerned that they might lose Pizzetta or Ulonen on waivers if they're choosing to do so? Because, yeah, the possibility is certainly He didn't much even higher. have to. He didn't even have to. You had a guy who didn't need waivers no, in the I know. lineup. If, if you, yeah, I know. You, you could just send there was down no need. There was no need to risk and losing anyone. There was no need yeah. to risk losing anyone. Because <laughs> they could have lost Stevens. That actually would have hurt them. Because Mitchell Stevens remains the best candidate to be the fourth-line center of this team right now. And he's a very important well, he, player to Laval. Like he's very important to them. Uh, but... They didn't have to risk losing him. Listen, the risk was very minimal. There's very, very low chance that anyone's going to pick him up, but you never know. It's, it's just the whole thing's bizarre. It's, it's just, it was odd. It was odd. Yeah. Maybe that they're just stock taking to your point regarding, you know, trade deadline. Maybe that they're also looking, okay, what do we got in terms of depth players that could help us down the stretch? I mean, Pizzetta caused a huge surprise two years ago. And, mm-hmm. You know, and he ended up being an, you know, a, a a marginal NHL player, but I don't, I certainly have not seen that coming. Um, maybe no. that they have, maybe that they have the same thing in Condota, and two years from now we'll look at Condota and say, oh yeah, well he's he's a great tw- 13 forward on the team, but he's bring size and he's, uh, po- uh, you know, versatile and whatnot. Maybe that's what we'll talk about in two two years from now, and you know, those little stints uh, could help. The Canadians figured that out. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe they'll, they'll, get, we'll maybe they'll give uh, Philip Maillet a look. Although he's on an NHL deal, right? No, no, he's on an NHL deal. He's on he's an NHL a, deal. He's, he's on a two-way deal, so, it yeah, can, so I, I think can... that it would be more Leah Anderson rather than than Philip Maillet. I think. But why not both? I mean, I know why Philip Maillet is thirty, you know, but it, like yeah, he's even yeah, more yeah. 32? 31. 30, 31, yeah. yeah. So, anyhow. Um, well, that's actually a good segue to our to our yeah. future Friday. Um, yeah, our let's, make that, Friday... let's make that quick, though. Let's make that quick, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the deadline. Yeah. So um, yeah, we're not going to talk about a prospect in particular. We're just going to talk about actually the Laval Rocket. Um, they are rocketing up the stand. I'm sorry, that's bad. I actually didn't do that intentionally, but they are rocketing up the standings. Um, My God, it says if you work for NHL.com. Yeah, I know. With it's, headlines it's, like that, you can take. <laughs> You can take the boy out of NHL.com. You cannot take NHL.com out of the boy. So yes. it's so I was talking to Arbor Jackai about this the other day. And so he was mentioning how when he got there, so this would have been early December when he got sent down. Um, you know, the Rocket had lost nine games in a row. And he said, I got there and the place was depressing. It was depressing. Guys uh-huh. were not feeling confident. They were not having fun. It was just a bad environment. And I think Jack Eye's arrival and not only his arrival on the ice, but his personality arriving in that room, I think had an impact on this team. You know, he said, we started having fun more. We were just, you know, we were just playing. It got a lot, it got a lot less heavy. We started winning a little bit and now they're just rolling. I mean, they are uh, basically tied for third in the North division. They've gone from just about last yeah. uh, to third. And so what I told Arbor is repeating what JF Hull said at development camp in July. He said it at the rookie camp in September and, and was steadfast. He's like, we are going to have trouble until Christmas. And after Christmas, we'll figure it out. And things will go better. You look at the Rockets since December 29th, and they can't lose a game. I mean, I think their only loss came in overtime or a shootout, but they picked up a point, but they've won every other game. 
I have never seen a coach be as predictive, like Nostradamus like <laughs> prediction as JF Hull. Like it's it's astonishing. He's right on the money, yeah. Yeah. He's right on the money. And it's funny, like we talked to him um or maybe it, no, well, around no. the time around well, the yeah. time that well during the time that Jacka was there. So Yeah, exactly. And and and, and early January. I, I, I asked him. Um yeah. actually this was before I went there for Jacka's first game. And mm. so they were in the middle of this. And I remember I asked him, I said, you said until Christmas, it's going to be difficult and you're not at Christmas yet. So do you still see a possibility? He's like, well, yeah, we're not at Christmas and it is difficult. And you can just see it was heavy. It was weighing on him. Like it was like, it is difficult. I knew it would be and it is, but hopefully like we're just not getting, you know, our young players are not figuring it out. They're not progressing the way I had hoped. So it's a little bit more difficult than I had anticipated. And then he talked about Joshua Hua who at that point was going through a slump. And he said, you know, he has a good game here. And then the other night he was, he was bad. He had a bad game. Riley Kidney, good game here, bad. And he just started one by one naming off the young players on the team that were letting him down, that were disappointing him. Um, and then less than a month later, uh, a few weeks later, they, they can't lose. And so I think Jay Fool deserves a decent amount of credit because he's, uh, you know, they're the hottest team. They're the hottest team in the NHL right now. Yeah, they're, for sure. They're in a playoff and, spot. That's that's pretty. Yeah, uh, and so they just need to keep that going. And and frankly, getting Mitchell Stevens back is a boon. Getting Justin Barron is a boon for them. And I, I'm not saying that that has to be the priority for the Canadians. That let's be clear on that. The priority is in Montreal. But I do think getting Laval to the playoffs and giving them a, a fighting chance is 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 worth prioritizing to some extent for the Canadians and, and being a factor in their decision-making, especially on trade deadline day when they have to decide which players will be papered to Laval to be eligible for the playoffs. So I think that Jack I going to Laval and helping Logan Mayu find another step, another level mm -hmm. was a key there. Um, He wouldn't have been Emil an all-star otherwise. No. Yeah. So Emil Einemann, Being healthy and back, that's good for them. Leah Sanderson being healthy and back, very good for them. Jakob Dobesh, finally, he's he's one guy that had a tough first third of the season, really, yeah. really struggled. Uh, and he finally found his marks, and he's now backed up by uh, this uh, Finnish journeyman, Casimir Kaskiswo, who's on yes. a professional tryout uh, contract. We should all check out his YouTube channel. He won all. He, he won all four games that he started with a 196 goal against average. Uh, and, you know, for having a guy like that who's experienced, I mean, he's, he's 30 years old. It's a good lesson for the Laval Rocket. Never go with two inexperienced goalies. Make yeah. sure that you, all, you have one at least who's more seasoned and can, can help out. Because the, the balance that he brought around the net, Uh, not only when he played, but also helping Dobesh uh, has been very helpful for the uh, for the Laval Rockets. So there's many things, many contributing factors, but uh, it's it's fun because if 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 the fans in the Montreal Canadiens have a chance to go to see the Rocket when they're going to be in the playoff run later in the season, uh, I mean the atmosphere is always rocking, but it's going to be pretty special. Ah, you uh, did it too. You know, in in crunch time. So you did it too. You made a bad rocket pun, <laughs> just like me. Atmosphere's rocking. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I didn't even yeah. notice. <laughs> Is that the same? Okay. But yeah. it would be It sure. would be nice to – I mean, it, it, it would be cool for the, the AHL affiliate to – the Canadiens AHL affiliate to make a playoff run. You know, it's like it's it's been – you know, Laval's yes. never done it, um, like made a deep run. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see if, uh, if, if that's a possibility this year with this team. So it's – Um, but it's definitely, you know, I'm not part of the Laval Rocket marketing team, but um, if you do want an entertaining night of hockey at a more affordable price in a great building, um, Laval Rocket games are well worth the trip. And uh, uh, it's a great it's a great game experience. They actually do a very good job on game presentation. I think some elements of their game presentation are even better than the Canadians um, on some nights. So yes, um, I would, uh, I would highly recommend it heading out there, but it's yeah. something, uh, 
it's a real positive development for the Canadians because the way things were trending in Laval, like we had a, a lot of fans thinking that Champlain should be fired. Like what's going on there? This is a disaster. Young teams don't generally succeed in the NHL, um, far less so than they do in the NHL, actually. Um, he's done a really good job. Champlain has really done a good job. And again, called this so far in advance exactly how this was going to go. He does credit for that as well. All right, so we'll wrap this up. Um, two two uh, housekeeping notes. First, if you listen to us on uh, uh, on uh, Apple Podcast, please give us a five star rating. Drop us a comment. If you watch us on YouTube, well, don't forget to subscribe to the SDPN channel. Uh, tons of great podcasts there, and uh, it, don't hesitate to send us your question for our Monday mailbag. You can do so on Twitter at Basu and Godin. Or you can write us an email at basuandgodin at gmail.com. So that's it for this episode of The Notebook. So we wish everybody a good weekend. Arpin, enjoy yours, man. Enjoy yours as well. We'll be back on Monday, even though the Canadians are entering their bye week and the All-Star break. But we will be here um, to talk to you about more outrage. <laughs> <laughs> More outrage over, over inconsequential things coming right up on Monday. Enjoy your weekend, everyone.